So welcome everybody to our live stream today. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest, Abby Martin. Um, she's the host of The Empire Files. Welcome, Abby. Thanks so much for having me, Minar. Um, so for everybody that's watching, you know, as I start all of my live streams, I just ask everybody to help us beat social media algorithms um, by sharing this live stream uh, on your pages, if you manage pages, to say uh, to share them there. Uh, we are live right now on YouTube. We are live on Facebook, on Twitch, and also on Twitter. All right, so let's get started. Um, Despite publicly urging caution, restraint, and calling for a ceasefire, the United States government continues to aid apartheid Israel. This week, approving $375 million worth of arms sales to the apartheid state, even as it uses U.S.-made weapons to attack civilian buildings and other infrastructure in the Gaza Strip. And I'm seeing even more reports of Israel using white phosphorus, which is being supplied by the U.S., Hospitals, health clinics, and homes have been completely destroyed, brought to rubble, uh, with reports confirming the deaths of at least 61 children. Three pregnant women have also been targeted and killed. Now, the Biden administration has stood firm in its support for Israel, blocking UN resolutions three times this week that condemn the apartheid state for its offensive. As the bombs continue to rain down, President Biden reiterated his belief that Israel has a right to defend itself, a statement that has drawn much criticism from a growing number of the left in his own party. Nevertheless, it seems as if the U.S. empire will continue to stand by its closest ally in the Middle East, whatever its actions. Joining us to talk about the situation in Palestine is journalist, activist, and filmmaker, Abby Martin. Um, Abby began her journalistic career in 2009, founding her own citizen journalism outlet, Media Roots. She later hosted Breaking the Set on RT America and is now an independent filmmaker for Empire Files. She recently made her 2019 feature-length documentary, Gaza Fights for Freedom, free to watch on the Empire Files YouTube channel. Abby, such an honor to have you here. Um, first, can I just get your reaction to the events of the last uh, almost two weeks now? I mean, I was going to ask you the same thing, Menard, because I know that you are Palestinian who, you know, has so many roots in what's going on today. But I mean, just speaking for myself, it's heartbreaking. It's been hard to focus. I feel sick. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And it's a lot to day to day think about what is happening um, to my friends and colleagues and my brothers and sisters who are living through this horror on a daily basis. And, you know, just seeing, you know, it's easy to be desensitized to like horrific images and stuff like that. But one image really struck me. And I'm sure, you know, I know when are you are a parent of two and I'm sure it struck you just the same way when that baby survived the Al-Shati uh, yeah. refuge camp massacre. And I don't know why that hit me so hard. It's just like this little five-month-old kid who has no idea what his life is going to be like. And his whole family was just taken from him. And just You just really have to wrap your mind around the fact that entire families, generations of bloodlines are being completely wiped out um, in these airstrikes intentionally, intentionally. Um, and just the complete disgust that I have for this government and the corporate media for their complicity in what's going on. Cause every single child who dies, the blood is on the hands of Joe Biden and his counterparts for just facilitating this because it just goes so far beyond, Oh, turning a blind eye. Oh yeah. We subsidize this. It's like he could stop this if he wanted to right now he blocked the ceasefires he's selling weapons in the middle of this you know and he had that phone call with netanyahu where he was just like yeah you're not overreacting this isn't disproportionate and yet netanyahu turned around had a cabinet meeting where he said we have the green light to go as long as we want for this operation because the u.s is behind us every step of the way and i think that the one thing that we can take away that actually is optimistic uh, is the fact that Biden is now feeling the pressure. No, not because he has empathy for dead children and a massive amount of civilian lo lives lost. It's because he feels the pressure, the, the insanely huge, massive protests mounting around the world. The fact that in Dearborn, I mean, he was met with like, I think the largest pro-Palestine yeah. demonstration in, our, in the history of this country yesterday, 
Rashida meeting him on the tarmac and confronting him. I mean, he knows that he cannot escape this and he is just going to, it's just going to get more intense for him. So that really is a testament to how this kind of political pressure really does work and we just need to keep it up. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. The protests that we're seeing, the mass demonstrations, the mass organizing is completely unprecedented in the history of all these uh, protests in support of Palestinian human rights. Um, Abby, the basic premise of the empire files is that the United States is a global empire, the largest empire history has ever seen. What have you made uh, of the reaction inside the U.S. to the violence, both publicly and through officials, if you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've all seen that clip. And if you haven't, definitely check it out of Joe Biden, uh, probably a decade or more ago, talking about why Israel is necessary, why Israel is so supported by the U.S. empire in terms of a proxy, right, an arm of U.S. militarism. And he actually says explicitly, he says, if Israel didn't exist in the region. He's arguing, I think, for, of course, the billions of dollars in aid that, that are used to subsidize Israeli apartheid. And he was arguing for it, saying, we need to prop up this state because if Israel didn't exist in the region, we would have to create an Israel. We would have to create an Israel to serve her interests, her meaning the United right. States. So I think this really just speaks volumes to how essential Israel is in terms of a, a proxy arm of the U.S. empire in order to carry out operations in the region, extend, um, you know, strikes or whatever, just basically be this battering ram for the U.S. and for U.S. imperialism, um, no matter what they need, which is, you know, exactly the same as what Saudi Arabia serves to a certain extent. So that, I think, really just reveals everything about what the goal is here. Um, they've invested so much in propping up Israel that they will let it get away with literally everything and anything. Um, it is just f interesting, you know, this this so-called beacon of human rights. You take a step back and you realize that the two greatest allies are the two, like, most horrific human rights abusers in the world, <laughs> Saudi Arabia and Israel. It's just, like, really, um, it's just cartoonish at this point. Um, but the reaction, I... You know, it, it, it's hard to believe, but I guess I can't say I'm too surprised. I mean, I think anything after the 2018 Great March where like 217 unarmed protesters were actually targeted and shot by Israeli snipers, and that includes, of course, children, medics administering medical aid, journalists, marked press, and disabled people in wheelchairs. Um, I guess nothing surprises me after I saw how the political establishment and corporate media reacted to that. Because the entire world tried to hold Israel accountable for that massacre that was ongoing. And the U.S. continued to block any sort of U.N. resolution um, right. and argue that Israel had the right to quote-unquote self-defense. This is just an eternal lie that's used to perpetuate just horrific atrocities, Minar. And now you see like this human shield thing just absolves Israel of any wrongdoing, you know, after blowing up the AP uh, media headquarters had Brian Selter actually like grilling AP like how did you turn a blind eye to Hamas it's like why are you not questioning this you don't right. think that the, the, you should grill Israel and ask for evidence because they couldn't even provide it in secret to the State Department did you ever think for a second that maybe they didn't have any and even if they did even if Hamas did have an office in this building you still can't do this right Hamas is the government of Gaza they have there's thousands of people that are loosely affiliated with the government. I mean, it's just right. so disgusting, the dehumanization of Palestinians, that this this is allowed to go on without question. And, you know, uh, Alan McLeod, our, our senior staff writer at Mint Press, he tweeted something uh, along those lines. The New York Times opinion page uh, featured an article uh, that basically said, for the sake of peace, Israel must rout Hamas. And that, to me, if people are reading between the lines, is not only propaganda, but a call for a massacre in Gaza, which is exactly what Israel is doing and committing. So let's talk about these stenographers within, that are working within corporate media that are very closely affiliated with the Israel lobby. Talk to me about, I mean, just the propaganda that we're seeing here out of corporate media. I love Alan is amazing. I mean, he is really on top of this. He has been for so long. I I really can't recommend his writings enough for people who are tuning in. Like 
really solid guy, um, really great investigative journalist, because he's always on top of just the egregious hypocrisy coming out of corporate media stenographers that really do turn into state stenographers whenever like the U.S. is going on some sort of regime change propaganda campaign, whether it be Venezuela, Bolivia or Israel-Palestine. I mean, I think Israel-Palestine, of course, is the most blatant example Um and it has been for so long, Menar. I mean, this is nothing new, but it just continues to become even more egregious because more people are waking up to the reality of the situation and the corporate media just doesn't budge the line. Um, Brett Stevens, I think, is the one who, who yeah. wrote that article. I actually had been subscribing to the New York Times for a couple months to uh, get headlines for videos that we were doing. And, and after he posted that, I was like, I can't. Um, I canceled my subscription and I told them, I was like, you're horrific horrific coverage, essentially endorsing ethnic cleansing and uh, a massacre of civilians by, by saying we need to route Hamas is just, is just too much for me. I have to cancel my subscription. And I, I encourage everyone to do the same thing because the New York Times is one of the worst publications. They learned nothing from the Iraq war. <laughs> they learned, I mean, you go back, uh, I think Alan even posted this, like they called genocide during the Cold War, like a gleam of a gleam of light. I mean, they it, it it's just with it's just their entire character. It's baked into who the New York Times is. And you know what? I think that a lot of these journalists, um, as we both understand, it's about power. It's not about social justice. It's not about advocacy towards the truth. Right. It's about access. And it's about positions of power. And you can actually look at the same kind of thing with our political establishment. It's like the majority of politicians don't get into politics because you want to actually change society. It's because you're born and bred. You know, you're either in the 1%, you have ties to other politicians. You just want power, right? You want access. And that's the majority of the corporate media too. You go into this industry knowing that you need to ascribe to a certain orthodoxy. And that orthodoxy means that you cannot question U.S. capitalism and you can't question the motivations of the U.S. empire. You have to actually believe in U.S. exceptionalism. Um, And the people who do try to cause a rift or tell the truth, or we all know what happens to them. Look at Mark Lamont Hill, fired from CNN for talking about Palestine from the river to the sea. Um, even Jank Uger for slightly criticizing Obama was kicked off MSNBC, but it goes so far beyond that. I mean, I even had this verified to me personally by Matt Taibbi, of course, a revered journalist for the Rolling Stones. He said that he was told early on in his journalistic career that this is an issue that you don't touch. Right. If you want to keep your job. This is the third rail issue because it's just not worth the risk. Do you want to be branded an anti-Semite? And I think that we all know the way that they've weaponized anti-Semitism, which is a very real growing threat around the world. Um, they've weaponized it and basically deflected all criticism of state crimes and made it so people who are criticizing them are bigots and racists. And we don't want to be bigots and racists, right? We're social justice warriors. We're people who are uh, wanting, you know, wanting to pursue truth and, and we're very passionate about anti-racism. Um, but no, but you know what we need to do now? We need to put them on the defense. We need to put them on the defense of why they defend apartheid and war crimes. So this has been kind of a trick that's been done to put us on the defense of why we criticize Israel when really they need to be put on the defense and we need to go on the offense. Um, and, you know, the media is just, it's the same everywhere you look. It's the passive voice, the way that they describe Palestinians who died where, versus Israelis who are killed. Right. So it's always Palestinians just die. It's never described how they die. But Israelis are killed. Even if it's a soldier, he was he was killed. Right. It kind of painting him as in a civilian light. Um, and then beyond that, of course, no analysis or context is ever given to the situation. No, nothing is ever explained about what precedes the rockets. It's always Israel has the right to self-defense against this barrage of rocket fire. And whatever happens next, well, that's Hamas's fault. Um, and so it's just painted as this conflict over religion that can never be solved because it's way too complicated, Menar. You need a PhD to really understand this conflict and really able be able to describe a solution for it. So we're just going to write these headlines that just kind of obfuscate the truth and paint it as both sides 
are complicit, even though there's a wildly disproportionate death toll from the occupying force who controls everything in the situation and just move on to the next story and backpage it into oblivion. And, and, you know, we're never going to change the nature of the corporate medium. And that's why we exist. And that's why they are working so hard to throttle your content and, and just remove us from the equation because it's a thorn in their side. I mean, for God's sake, this is who they blamed for Trump's election was, was alternative and independent media. So that's never going to change. Absolutely. So many incredible, incredible points. And I just want to make a comment about a couple of things that you mentioned. Yeah, but before I do, I just want to let you know that I just checked the live stream and you look like I can actually see you clearly, but for some reason here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. I don't know what is up here. Israel's throwing my, uh, my screen. First of all, uh, we have former Israeli minister Sholomit Alomi, who is now dead, but uh, about uh, maybe a decade ago, about 10 years ago, um, in an interview with Democracy Now!, um, she talked about how Israel uses the anti-Semitism and Holocaust card to trick, she used the word trick, to trick um, any sort of silence and, or any sort of critique of the occupation. So anytime there's, their sympathy grows for Palestinians who are living under Israeli occupation, Israel as a trick. Um, I'm getting a notification that um, our stream is having connection issues. Surprise, surprise. I haven't had any issues all week. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just make sure we're still going. I'm just checking our page if anybody can still hear us. Um, Looks like we're still live. Okay, we're 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 good to go. Um, and then the other thing about since we, you know, you really ripped the New York Times a new one, which was which was really great uh, and priceless. I just want to mention too that the state of Israel gives uh, the New York Times gag orders on what it can and cannot publish about Israeli occupation and apartheid. Um, and at the same time, the Jerusalem Bureau for um, the New York Times was built on top of a Palestinian home. A Palestinian family was ethnically cleansed at the hands of the New York Times. The New York Times could build a Jerusalem bureau there. And then their correspondent at that Jerusalem bureau, I forgot her name, I, it's at the tip of my tongue, but um, her family members all serve in the Israeli military and she herself is Israeli. And so, so there's very clearly a collusion here with the Israeli state, the military, its intelligence with corporate media. And that's just one very, very small um, example. Um, Abby, I know that, you know, you've made a lot of friends and contacts from your time in Palestine. Can you share with us? I want to go back to what's happening in Gaza and in Ramallah and in the West Bank and Hebron. Um, can you share with us what you are hearing back from them? How have their lives been affected by the recent uh, violence? Yeah, I think that we're all hearing the same thing, which is this is more intense and more violent in terms of bombardment uh, than actually the 2014 war, which really, really says a lot. Um, We're talking about 2,200 Palestinians who lost their lives tragically, 500, over 500 children who lost their lives during the 2014 massacre on Gaza. And the fact that people are saying now that it's more indiscriminate, more rapid, or more like you know, the volume of bombings and the rapid fire of of them unleashing the bombardment and armaments um, and munitions, um, as well as the white phosphorus. I have seen videos from my friends there who have been showing the white phosphorus, which they said is so incendiary, it just burns everything that it touches. Um, the fact that you know the indiscriminate bombing is just destroying the culture there as well, bookstores. Uh, you know, marketplaces, like things that that really just, um, you know, get, get to the heart of like what it means to be a Palestinian living there. Like, like they want to make life completely miserable when this is all over. It's not just about targeting Hamas members or people affiliated with the organization. It's like way, way beyond that to destroy anything, anything that they could have after this is over. And as we know, they can't rebuild. They can't rebuild because construction materials that they need aren't allowed in through the blockade. So what I'm hearing is, of course, day to day, my friends happy to make it through the night, huddling with their families, trying to distract their children from the sound of bombs going off all night 
all around them. Um, and just every day that they survive, they just say, this is really intense. This is so much worse. The bombs sound louder. It's, it's, it's just like everything about it is so much more scary and they don't understand why, like, are the weapons newer, you know, like what, what is going on here? And I think that until this is over, we're not really going to realize the extent of the destruction. Um, but Manar, what about you? I mean, you know, I didn't even get to ask you, like, how are you dealing with all of this? Well, as a Palestinian American, you know, living here in the United States, I'm absolutely devastated. You know, at the end of Ramadan, we couldn't even celebrate the the coming of Eid. Eid was last week. It was a total of three days. And every single person that I know, including myself, was like struck with this deep anxiety um, and sadness. And we couldn't celebrate celebrate Eid. I took my son to a to a barber shop that's run by a Palestinian and it was packed with Palestinian men who were getting their haircuts for Eid and every single person there was glued to their phone crying crying in the middle of this barber shop on Eid because they were so devastated and felt so helpless about what is happening back home. I spoke with my family, um, you know, my mom's family and my dad's family all live in Jerusalem. Luckily, they're in a, in a safer environment than in Gaza. They live in Jerusalem and in Hebron, and they're afraid to leave their home because of the, the Israeli mobs that are all over, the, that have basically taken over the streets with knives, with weapons, and who are going house to house targeting Palestinians and you know, trying to kill them, trying to abuse them. And so it's just so devastating. And even though I'm here, you know, I very much have experienced living under Israeli occupation and apartheid from when I was a preteen. So having witnessed those human rights abuses, I know firsthand what the people of Palestine are going through. And it's keeping me up at night. I've had to take melatonin every, I never take melatonin to sleep. I've had to take melatonin every single night for the last week to go to sleep, to get to sleep. And I'm still waking up in the middle of the night with these images, these horrific images of these babies. You know, I'm a mom, I have two little boys. My young, you know, my, my little boy is three years old. And so just like you, Abby, when you see these images of children, it really, really strikes a chord in your heart and in your conscience to say, what the hell is going on? How is this acceptable? How is this acceptable? How, like, we are truly ruled by criminals. We are truly ruled by psychopaths, by mass murderers. And it's just, it's making me lose so, so much hope. And I do know that, and you cover this a lot, Abby, as long, you know, we know that as long as Western imperialism uh, reigns freely around the world, there can be no justice for Palestine, for Palestinians, for the people of Gaza or any people around the world. And so I'm heartbroken, just like everybody who's watching these images, but as a Palestinian, especially um, this is reviving and reigniting that flame beneath my feet to speak up. And that's why I've kind of initiated these live streams, these daily live streams every single day that I'll continue to live stream and talk about. So I really appreciate you asking, Abby. It's important to ask Palestinians how they're doing and um, just, you know, hear their perspective so that we can humanize them. And I just want to say one thing, Abby, is the media, the corporate media has for so long dehumanized uh, I want to defend Arab Palestinian men right now because for so long, Palestinian men have been dehumanized as militant, as angry, as abusive and controlling of women. And all of these videos and images of these Palestinian fathers just crying because their wives have been killed. They're pulling their babies and their children out of the rubble. We see videos of the men of the family, the head of the household comforting their daughters, comforting their wives, trying to protect their families. Like it's so devastating to see this, but I'm so happy that uh, Palestinians are able with the very little internet that they have and the very little electricity that they have, that they're documenting just the humanity that exists in Gaza, that Palestinians are not militants. They're not all Hamas as the media would like to portray them as. They're human beings, just like every single person uh, in this world who are just there trying to survive, to eat, to get health care, to go to school. Uh, and then, the, you know, the children, they just want to become doctors and lawyers so that they can defend their people. Those, I mean, that's the reality on the ground. And it, it really reinvigorated, you know, out of a very horrific situation, that drive to continue to speak the truth. So I really appreciate um your work, um, you you did not go to Gaza, right? You, you didn't enter Gaza, mm -hmm. but you tried to. And you uh, produced this incredibly, incredibly amazing documentary called um, Gaza Fights for Freedom. Talk to me about your documentary and how it was filmed in Gaza. <laughs> yeah, and let me just tack on to your point, Menard. 
you're totally right. Like um, the media wants to paint Palestinians as like a death cult. Right. Right. And the human shield narrative really makes people think that people are like sacrificing themselves to like protect missiles and weapons. And I mean, it's just so disgusting. And if you look back at history, this term human shield has always been used to dehumanize the quote unquote enemy to basically give the occupier or perpetrator of the violence carte blanche to do whatever they want to the civilian population that they are oppressing. And you can even look back at like newspaper clippings from the Korean war and look at like this term was used um, back then, you know, look at something like even Osama bin Laden, like he was going to use his wives as human shields and they were going to sacrifice themselves or Saddam. Um, there was newspaper clippings basically saying Saddam was going to sacrifice all of these people and all these people were going to like be human shields for him. So it's super fascinating how this propaganda continues to recycle and people continue to believe it. But you're right. I mean, the humanity um, speaks for itself. Right. And my friend uh, Kareem, Abdul Kareem, who worked very closely with us for the documentary, I just asked him, you know, how are you holding up? Because I know that he has young children. And he says, I'm just really mad. He just said, every day I just wake up absolutely furious um, seeing these photos and images and the fact that they are targeting refugee camps, hospitals, targeting the roads going to the hospitals. I mean, these are just absolute blatant and flagrant war crimes because they know that they are shrouded with u.s impunity and it is disgusting um when we mike and i were in the west bank uh, my partner for empire files we we're in the west bank i god seems a long time ago maybe five four years ago four or five years ago now and of course i tried to get into gaza i mean of course i wanted to go there um and i was blocked from netanyahu's press ministry office and they just said you're a propagandist and you're not a journalist and um, i was basically banned for life and so you know the next year um the great march of return sparked off and it was just such an incredible action i mean tens of thousands of people going to this artificial fence that prohibited them from their ancestral lands and protesting peacefully you know this is something that the international community continues to call for where are the peaceful palestinian protests you know and this is exactly what they did in the tens of thousands every single week they were going out there and they were facing sniper fire as a response i mean israeli snipers were hiding like cowards behind giant sand dunes and literally picking people off like it was target practice um, and, you know, going back to like targeting actual children, medics, press, this is all doc, this is all documented actually by a UN report that we based the film around because we wanted it to just be completely irrefutable, conclusive evidence of just targeted war crimes, you know, by sniper fire. I mean, Israel claimed that all these people were human shields, you know, so they have a, they have a record of lying about this and therefore they should not be trusted. Right. Um, and so the Great March of Return, of course, the way that it was covered by the corporate media was just completely a, a disgrace. I mean, they just said that people died in clashes without explaining that this was a, a, a massacre with snipers deliberately actually killing people one by one. Um, there was even a, an international war correspondent who was on the ground who said, I covered wars in Syria, Libya. Iraq and she was like I've never seen anything like this because it would just be a slow methodical shooting like every five minutes you would hear a gunshot ring off and you would see someone else just fall and like that is just something that's very harrowing I think that these snipers are just sitting there just deciding who to kill next and when it was all said and done uh, 500 people were shot in the head um, 217 were killed and of course just so many children, 35 children that were doing nothing. I mean, you look at what these people were doing. They were smoking cigarettes. They were helping administer aid to other people and they were just picked off. Um, and I really lost, I think, my faith in humanity after that. Menara. Um, but I was so disgusted with the way it was being covered and I felt like no one did the story justice. And so I worked with my colleagues there who were asking you know, us, could we collaborate on something for Empire Files to really show what the march was? Because our friends, Maz Mazma and Atiyah Hamad, you know, they risked their lives getting this footage. They were running towards bullets um, to get an accurate depiction of what the march really was and, and what the intent was behind the march. 
And the intent was to draw attention to their plight as refugees. I mean, that's why they set up these encampments. That's why they had all of these kind of like Occupy Wall Street style tents set up at in this area of land because they wanted the international community to realize that they are still refugees 70 years later. Um, and we all know what happened next. And so, of course, we we wanted to do something about it. And so we produced all the interviews and wanted, of course, tell Razan al-Najjar's story, who's the anniversary of her murders coming up on June 1st. And when we saw the footage, it was just absolutely mind-blowing, cinematic, and brilliant. And we knew that we had to take the year and really produce a documentary that did the story justice and uplifted the voices that are never heard or seen in um, mainstream media. And so that's how the movie came together. But of course, it was very difficult to get the footage around the blockade. It took months and months. I mean, you know, we all know that they have electricity maybe three to four hours a day. So it would be sending these huge files and it would take days to get these files. And it was just like for us, you know, we wake up and we're like, all right, um, back to work. You know, we take this electricity for granted, right? We take the fact that we can use our computers all day for granted. And like, it was just like kind of a stark reminder that every time that we would try to collaborate with them, they'd be like, sorry, like we have to wait until we have like our generators running. And it was just like, oh my God, you know, like as, um, as a gentleman in the documentary said, he said, electricity is as important as the air we breathe yes. because it's humiliating. You can't freeze water. You can't ha- store food. I mean, simple things like this. You know, that's a humiliating existence to live and that's all intentional, you know, and then you're going to push these people to the brink and then still accept, expect them to just completely uh, capitulate to Israel. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they peacefully protest or not. They're still going to get massacred and they're still going to tighten the noose and punish these people uh, forever because they are hate them for what they did to kick out the Israeli military back in 2005 or whatever, when they forced them and they're going to punish them until, until, I don't know, until the breaking point, until the international community prevents them from doing so. Well, and speaking of like protests, you said no matter, even if they protest peacefully, they're still going to get attacked and massacred by Israel. I mean, we just saw images this morning and last night of people protesting peacefully uh, at Damascus Gate and they were attacked with stun grenades and tear gas and the Israeli police dispersed them and were attacking journalists, were attacking medics that were there just protesting. So yeah, I saw um, live, the- they were using live ammunition. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if it was Damascus Gate, but somewhere, I don't know if it was Ramallah or what, but yeah, they were shooting people with bullets for sure. It was probably, it might've been Ramallah, but I just want to take a 30 second break just to ask everybody, uh, you know, again, to say thank you for everybody for joining us. Um, if you are watching uh, this live stream, uh, this is Manar Muhawash. I'm the founder and editor in chief, Manar Muhawash Adli, founder and editor in chief of Mint Press News. And I'm joined by the very brilliant uh, Abby Martin, host of the Empire Files. And we are here discussing uh, the U.S. Empire's role in uh, Israel's massacre in Gaza. Um, and so if you are watching this live stream, we ask that you share it. We are trying to beat social media, big tech, Silicon Valley uh, algorithms as an independent media outlet. We need your support. So please share this everywhere that you can. Um, Abby, uh, you did this uh, a series of interviews with Israeli civilians. Just you're like mm-hmm. on the street. You were on like Jaffa Street and you were just interviewing regular Israelis and you know, you stated that there is a genocidal bloodlust in Israeli society. Um, is that what you meant when you said that? Like when you were interviewing these people? Oh, that. Oh, I'm. I meant it, <laughs> and, that, and it speaks for itself. I mean, because they always want to paint Netanyahu and you know as this crazy uh, outlier, right? And they they paint like the extremist settlers too as like, oh, these people don't represent Israeli society, and it's so offensive to liberal sensibilities, and it's so offensive to quote unquote liberal Zionists who want to pretend like Israel's a democracy and this like safe haven for gay people, and you know they pinkwash the shit out of the, its existence. And so they have to keep up the facade that Netanyahu simply is just this aberration, this outgrowth of Israeli society. That's a very ugly outgrowth. You know, it's exactly similar to to Trump in a weird way. It's like Trump, of course, Trump represented what the the bare naked nature of what U.S. empire really was. Right. Like the reality stardom, 
this just disgusting bloodlust that he had for killing Muslims. Like all of that is just like baked into American society and all the liberals just couldn't explain why Trump was elected. Um, It was, you know, and it's the same kind of thing with Netanyahu. It's like, they want to pretend like Netanyahu doesn't represent Israeli society, but in fact, Israel is an extension of what you, the U S empire is. I mean, it's a settler colonial state that, um, is predicated and necessitates uh, the ongoing ethnic cleansing and um, expulsion of its indigenous population. I mean, you know, the U.S. of course was founded on the extermination of the native population. It would be as if we were still doing that now, like if it was still happening. Um, and that's why it's just so it's so interesting to see the Israelis so open about this kind of genocidal mentality talking to an American documentarian. And I think it's because they thought that America understands their plight, right? Like America's engaged in this global war on terrorism that's never ending. They're dealing with a quote unquote terrorist threat, right? And so I think that they like see us and they're just like, oh yeah, like you guys get it. Um, Let's kill them all, right? Let's wipe them all off the face of the earth, right? Like you guys are on board. Um, And that's the way that they talk to me. And the only way that you can explain their openness for doing so is that mentality that they see shared values um, between our countries. And really, they're right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I went for just three hours in West Jerusalem and it was a horrifying experience. I mean, I had just come from a month in the West Bank, an incredible experience talking to hundreds of Palestinians who were beautiful, the most beautiful people I've ever encountered, the food, the culture, like the openness to just welcome us into their homes, like everything was just so incredible, right? Um, And then not one of those people that I talked to had ever expressed anything remotely like hostile other than the fact like, yeah, it sucks. These people are doing this to us. I wish that we could just live in peace. Like, yeah, we don't care that they're here. Just why do you have to move on top of my house? Why do you have to like torture me all the time? You know, like things like that. Um, We just want democracy. We just want peace. So contrasting that to going into West Jerusalem for three hours with Dan Cohen, who was also filming with us and just not even cherry picking people off the street. Like I wish that that were the case. We literally include everyone that we talked to who was willing to talk to us on camera in, in this full length uh, episode that you can check out on our empire files, YouTube channel. And it was just absolutely startling. I mean, this video actually just became viral a couple of days ago because I think Americans are so appalled by this kind of mentality because it's so sanitized and hidden from us, right? You've never seen Vox Pop interviews, man on the street interviews with Israeli citizens, because if you did, this would be a lot more understood, Um, that this actually is a current that is extremely mainstream within Israeli society. The vast majority of Israelis are Zionists, right? I would say 95% are Zionists. And what does that mean? That means that you have to be okay with ethnic cleansing. You have to be okay with maintaining a brutal occupation of Palestinians. You can call yourself liberal, but your existence relies on the notion that you are living in a supremacist state that artificially maintains a Jewish majority. And what does that mean? That means that you have to continue ethnic cleansing in order to keep that majority. Um, And so, you know, we talked to many people um, and every single person expressed uh, gleefully I would even argue, gleefully uh, endorsing and expressing genocidal beliefs. They're like laughing and giggling while they're telling you, like, we just want to kill them all. We just want to kill Arabs. Like, someone made the point, they're like, if this were like a sci-fi dystopian, like, writing room, like in Hollywood, and if you were, like, depicting, like, a Nazi-like society and, like, like where they actually think of another people's as like vermin and subhuman, like that would almost be like two on the nose. Like the writers would be like, no, like no one's going to say we should kill all the Arabs and laugh about it. Like that's too crazy. Like no one would do that. And it's like, this is, this is real guys. Like this is the way that Israelis uh, look at Palestinians. And this is a conditioning that starts from birth. You know, this is a mass brainwashing to hate the other, to subjugate the other in order to be okay to live on that land it's it's to be okay to be zionist and and when it's not people saying kill them or carpet bomb them you even have a guy being like carpet bomb them and we should have the right to hate them jews should have the right to hate them it's people just saying kick them out 
have them go back to Arab countries. It's like, this is their country though, you know? Um, and, and I even spoke to a guy with La Hava. This is a, the equivalent of the KKK where marauding gangs actually expelling people in Sheikh Jarrah, which was initiated by members of the La Hava. This is a fascist gang that um, literally this kid that I talked to, I was just like, what are you doing? He's like smoking a cigarette, just like hanging out. And he was like, oh, like I'm spending my Friday night making sure that um, Arabs and Jews aren't like walking around together. Like that's what he, that's what he does with his free time is like, make sure, sh- make sure that people aren't <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around, but all of this is reflected in polling. You know, people watch this video and they're like, this is all anecdotal. Sure. But I would argue that this is actually a reflection, a very, very ugly reflection of where the mainstream Israeli society is at. Because not only you have Netanyahu and you don't really have a real opposition to the Netanyahu um, wing of the party, because Benny Gantz, who was his opponent in the last election, is also a genocidal maniac who was, you hear now, wipe out Gaza, level Gaza, all of this stuff. There is no opposition. There is no left party in Israel. There's token spots for Palestinians to have seats in the Knesset. And there's no left-wing opposition in the country at large. I mean, there's definitely no mobilization of protests against what's going on. In fact, it's the opposite, where Netanyahu continues to generate and garner high polling numbers and much more support whenever something like this happens. His, His polling is through the roof right now. His polling is through the roof right now. And one more quick story, if I may. Um, Elor Azaria, that's who executed, executed a Palestinian who was completely disarmed. I think this was in Hebron. And it wasn't that the Israeli government punished him because of that. It's because a video was filmed of him nonchalantly executing this disarmed Palestinian man. And the international community put pressure on the Israeli government to do something about it. And so he was slapped on the wrist, I think with house arrest, something very minor, minor discretion. Um or a minor penalty, rather, for a serious uh, offense. And Israeli society was in a fervor because they were protesting that this soldier could get punished for executing what they deemed was a terrorist. And so you had 10,000 people in Tel Aviv Square chanting death to the Arabs, death to the leftists, because there's a phrase in Israel where chanting you you are are the common cold. So in order to get rid of the common cold, in order to get rid of the common cold, you need to get rid of AIDS first because basically the left is blocking the uh, the ethnic cleansing that they really want to commit. And so this tens of thousands of people chanting death to Arabs and death to the leftists. And they also said death to the videographers. And just ask David Sheen and Dan Cohen, two brave, uh, you know, one's Israeli and one is just a Jewish citizen who was living there. But he, they talked about how they were chased out by fanatic fascist mobs um, because they thought that they were filming them, you know, and basically like part of Bet Salem or something. So this is a very serious thing. I think if you are the on the left in Israel, you really can't live there. As we know from people like Ronnie Barkin and Miko Pilad, it's a fascist society, full throttled, um, way more, way more far gone than U.S. society. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find the most racist people in the U.S. and the Deep South saying things on camera. About wanting to exterminate all black people in the U.S. You know what I mean? It's like that that would be hard to find. But the fact that we so easily found so many people saying these things within just a few hours is a really shocking thing. And that's made its way into U.S. politics um, with this kind of ideology um, inside the Israeli lobby. Um, Abby, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about APAC and other Israel lobby uh, talking heads and think tanks that are funded by Israel, funded by weapons manufacturers, and how they are influencing politicians and targeting BDS and SJP activists. I mean, I'll just speak from one that I have a personal experience with uh, called Stand With Us. They, of oh, course, yeah. posit themselves as this independent, <laughs> like, like fact-checking organization. <laughs> <laughs> but they are directly funded by the Israeli government. And in fact, Barry Weiss, the infamous Barry Weiss, who wrote that bizarre op- op-ed for Substack where she was like, I'm a mo- like, I'm trying to get pregnant and like, you know, Zionism requires just like the, like killing a bunch of civilians sometimes, like just like it's so bizarre and crazy. <laughs> like, um, but anyway, Barry Weiss also received money from them, from them. And um, when I went on the Joe Rogan experience and brought Palestine up, um, 
you know, stand with us, freaked out. Of course, the Israeli government tried to lobby Joe forever to try to have an Israeli government official come on and like, debunk what I said. And thankfully, he didn't, you know, he didn't have them come on. But they did send thousands of stock letters making it seem like it was being sent from like, you know, all of these different uh, Jewish people when really we know it was a concerted effort from Stand With Us. And they made a video about me calling me an anti-Semite. We know how strong the lobby is where they employ um, probably hundreds of people, I would imagine at the very least, to correct the record online because they know the information war is really what they need to uh, control. I mean, that is the most important thing because once mass consciousness flips, like it's over for them, right? Um, So there are war rooms at Tel Aviv University, organizations like Stand With Us, um, bot farms online that are trying to just basically blanket any criticism with the notion that you are anti-Semitic if you care about Israel. And that's kind of what Barry Weiss's whole deal is too. It's like, if you care more about Israel than you do about like the Uyghurs in China, then you're anti-Semitic because why, why do you care so much about what this, what this little tiny strip of land that you can't even look to on a map is doing? It's like, well, let me ask you a question, Barry, and everyone else who, who, talks about the Uyghurs, what would you do if one bomb was dropped in Zhejiang province? Can you imagine yeah. the complete uproar around the world? I mean, we would have invaded China by now. You know, yes. it's just like such utter hypocrisy that that there could be carpet bombing and direct targeting of like civilian infrastructure where hundreds of people are just needlessly dying and being butchered. Um, and you have the audacity to bring up Zhejiang and the Uyghurs. It's like, no, no, this is not comparable at all. You know, it's it's just disgusting, but all this is conflated together. But yeah, I mean, back to the lobby, there's so many insidious ties. Like that's the, that's the problem is you don't know what is really directly backed by uh, Israeli forces or Mossad forces or whatever. You just know that there's billions of dollars being pumped into this industry. And we actually, we can't really track it, but we can only imagine the reach that it has. I mean, APAC is one of the biggest lobbying forces on the Hill, but I don't think it's, it's, you know, a lot of people say like, Oh, is, you know, the U S is Israel's bitch. No, Israel is the U S's bitch. APAC of course is a huge lobbying force. Of course, it's a huge influencer, just like big pharma and all these other lobbying entities. But I don't think that they're dictating. Um, I don't think that they dictate the policy. I think that U S politicians, like I said before, get into politics, believing being zionists believing in american exceptionalism believing in all of this you know it's like they're not getting into this coming from where rashida talib and elon omar are i mean we know who the majority of politicians are you know that claim to represent us and they are horrible people who just want power access and money so i think that it just kind of falls in place it's kind of like marco rubio said when he was confronted by the um the kids who massacre yeah when they said like will you like stop taking money from the nra and he was just like i don't i'm not i don't support guns because the nra pays me he was like i support guns and like the nra like just like sponsors me because i'm good on this issue you know what i mean it's like but I, but of course like that this this looming kind of threat that you will be slandered and smeared like elon omar was for simply saying money controls politics a very obvious point um, it really does set fear in the heart of anyone who's in the political establishment because they know the line that they can't cross. And even if they are moved by images of dead children, I think that they know that their political career hinges on their undying allegiance for Israel. And they take cues from the president, right? And when Joe Biden is un- unmoved and isn't budging and basically is giving a green light to Netanyahu, well, why should they speak out? And that's why we need to make their lives hard. We need to give, we can't give them a moment of peace. You know, these protests are an incredible first start, but we need to keep up the mobilization and start actually planning direct targeted actions for our congressional representatives. I mean, here in LA, there's like dozens of congressional representatives offices. It's time to start strategizing beyond protests. Well, turning the protests into these like actions against these people because they cannot just go on with their lives without feeling the heat. And that's the only way this is really going to shift. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I know that uh, today, I think it was today or yesterday, I remember, 
probably yesterday since it's still uh, early afternoon here, but uh, there was a huge action at the UN headquarters um, and they were like firing fireworks in New York City. And so really making some noise. Um, there's some videos that came out. That was, so that was pretty incredible to watch. And of course, you know, Abby, you've touched on so many aspects of how Israel gets away with murder, but we can't talk about this unless we talk about the military industrial complex in detail, the weapons manufacturers um, and the think tanks that are literally driving these policies to get Israel, United, the United States to support um, Israeli, the Israeli military industrial complex. So um, if you could just briefly uh, go over uh, the weapons manufacturers and the think tanks um, and how they draft war policies and support for Israel and the profits that they are making uh, off of this conflict. And I hate yeah, and I want to bring up the media really quickly because people don't realize that the think tank infrastructure of DC is such an essential component of how the US empire like manages itself. Yeah. Um, they these think tanks, the majority of them are of course funded by the worst corporations in the world, Monsanto, Big Pharma, all of the weapons contractors and manufacturers. Um, they not only directly seed into corporate media where these think tank policy prescriptions and papers are used as like the expert analysis that, that, that are just cited by corporate media. Like, you know, this notion of an unbiased journalist. And let's say someone in the New York Times is like wanting to couch their real opinion about why Israel is good in the opinion of the Brookings Institute or like the Atlantic Council, you know, so they couch these analyses in like an appeal to authority and just feed it directly into like, well, this think tank person said this because they're experts on this and that. Uh, and that's exactly the way that politics works too. Do you think that our politicians who spend half of their time on the phone begging for donations from corporate lobbyists, do you think that they're writing policy? <laughs> like, who do you think writes the policy? You know, I mean, these are hundreds of pages of prescriptions that are basically generated by the think tank circuit. And they are presented with uh, with these people to our politicians and then they go and lobby for them on the Hill. I mean, it's a really just gross way that business is done. But I don't think that enough light is shined on the think tanks and how much they do play a role because they just kind of get a free pass. Like we don't know who serves on these think tanks, you know, and we should, we should, because they're just as complicit. Um, you know, I think one third of like Biden's transition team were part of uh, CNAS and CNIS, I think like two really just horrific uh, warmongering think tanks in DC. And that's when I knew like, okay, Biden's going to be awful. Yes. And potentially worse than Obama, because all of these people, I mean, he's just being puppeted by the think tanks right now, you know, um, and it's just it's something that really needs to be explored and investigated more. Um, my brother, you know, he's he's pretty much an expert on this. He like obsessively kind of combs over. Um, amazing. Amazing. It, it's incredible. And he's right now he's on a kick of the Hudson Institute because this is an institute um, that is kind of rebranding itself with Trumpism. Yeah. You know, and they're basically adopting this kind of notion of right populism and 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 understanding where the current of society is at. And and it's and it's a clever tactic. Right. Um, and they are very, very Zionist. And all of these think tanks are, you know, they all they all basically work together to manage the narrative. And, and Menard, for example, the Atlantic Council, as we know, works yeah. to fact check Facebook. And there's so many members of um, that were formerly in the Israeli government or the Mossad, or like the IDF that are just sitting on the board of these social media giants. And the um, too, yeah. Yeah, Wikipedia is edited on behalf of like Zion, like it's all, Jimmy Wales is like a huge unapologetic Zionist. So it just, it's all, it all comes together, which I think goes back to why, um, why people like you and me are being targeted by the algorithms like even for example, I'm shocked that our video is up right now and I don't know how long it will remain to be up on YouTube, but it already is not only slapped with an age restriction, but there's like multiple levels of security verifications where you have to like, like type in like a credit card. I've never even heard of that happening before. Um, and I've gotten, you know, notices from people saying there's no share button. It's not in their subscriptions. And so it really is like grassroots word of mouth of people actually just directly going to the link. But um, we know that this has been happening for a long, long time in our, and I don't see how it's going to get better. Um, and it, 
and that's why we really have to go back to like mailing lists and and supporting and backing the journalists that we want to see survive and thrive in this stifling uh stifling environment absolutely and the the iron uh, hammer <laughs> that's on that's trying to control the free flow of information is so, so heavy, so, so strong. Um, I just did an interview with press TV. I know, I, you know, I know it's press TV, it's Iranian state media, but even they have a right to, you know, to broadcast what they believe. It's like any other country, just like the BBC does. I just did an interview with them. uh, I believe it was yesterday and the, their videos about Gaza are being removed off of YouTube, like completely removed. Uh, I just saw the Gray Zone uh, tweeted that uh, their interview with Palestinian journalists and their struggle to report about Gaza was just removed as well. And so it's definitely a, a, a mass issue, which is why we have to support independent journalists and journalism. So, um, you know, please subscribe. Please subscribe to all of our channels, to the Empire Files, share our work. And don't just share it with people that know what we're talking about. We don't want to create echo chambers. We have to share these things with people uh, who need to hear this. And I think, Abby, you made a really good point about, like, we need to start from, like, the bottom. Grassroots organizing on the ground. And I talked about this at the Project Censored panel. It's so important that we talk to each other and our neighbors. Um, Today, I was at the gym and, like, two people at the gym came up to me who I know I've seen them and they were like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, how are you doing? You know, we're following mm-hmm. what's happening in Gaza. Like people are paying attention. They just need access to news. They need access to alternative information. And that's why independent media and independent journalists are being targeted is because we are the ones who are reporting the truth about these issues. If we did not have strength, if we weren't making a difference, then these social media tech giants who work hand in hand with the Israeli military with U.S. intelligence, with Israeli intelligence, even including Microsoft and Google, Facebook, Instagram, all of them, they work with the intelligence class to silence us. <laughs> and that's why it's so important to fund independent journalism as well. You know, you and I, Abby, talk about this all the time. We can't rely on advertising anymore. Google is ham- you know, hammering down on removing ads from any, like we get, Mint Press gets Google ad violations, like every day <laughs> they remove ads right. off articles um and so we can't rely on these big tech giants anymore we have to funded by like right-wing billionaires like all these other like you know i mean we don't have like huge donors either it's really really grassroots the way that our infrastructure is with with our you know with empire files and mint press news and i love what you said on the project censored panel when you just said we have to start you know going outside of our echo chambers and going and just talking to our friends neighbors and colleagues in our community that's how we're going to change hearts and minds guys it's not arguing endlessly on twitter although that is also important not arguing but i mean putting out information to counter the narrative but like getting out of your comfort zone and just showing up you know wearing pro-palestine gear being kind of like a walking yeah like sparking a conversation if someone is seeing that on the news and then they just like you know we just went to the farmer's market a couple days ago and i we both wore Palestinian, you know, garb or whatever, like free Palestine stuff. And I talked to so many vendors about it and it made me feel so good because a lot of them were just like, yeah, like this is crazy. I have no, I have no idea like where to go to like get more information about it. I just know that's wrong. That's exactly what I'm saying from like, where do we go? It's like, that's why independent media is being clamped down upon. That's exactly why, because they know the strength of our of our of our voice. Um, Abby, I know you have a busy day ahead of you, um, so I won't take up too much of your time. But thank you so much, everyone, for joining us uh, today. I learned so much from Abby. Such uh, an honor to have you. Such an incredible human and journalist. Please make sure to follow her work if you haven't already. Subscribe um, to Mint Press News. We have just started a Twitch account too, so please subscribe to our Twitch. Um, account as well. All right, guys, we'll have a wonderful day. Peace. Free Palestine. Thanks, Minar. (laughs) Thank you, Abby.